Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a single mom and have a business as well? Basically, you're trying to raise two babies. Um, And on top of that, being a daughter of an immigrant and trying to unlearn a lot of things. Have you ever wondered what your purpose in life is? Have you just tried going through different paths and thinking, is this it? Isn't this it? Well, today's guest, Mariella, is going to talk to us about all these topics and hopefully give us some insight from her professional perspective. Hola, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pretty Sure Podcast, the podcast where we talk about life, love, travel, business, and everything in between. Life tends to get messy sometimes, and nobody really taught us how to live it. With your new best friend, confidant, and host, yours truly, Sabrina. I will always have your back, and it is my mission that you never feel alone again, because I'm always here. So fasten your seatbelts, because the ride is about to get really bumpy. Welcome to season two. Let's go. Welcome back, guys, to Pretty Sure. I'm super excited. I have been following today's guest for a while, and we actually met through a course I had with a coach, and I just loved her vibes. And if you guys go check her out, and you'll probably find the link in the description. Her daughter is hilarious. Like, she's probably one of my favorite things to follow about her. Trust me, go check it out. It's, like, really funny what she does. Um, But today's topic is really interesting. I've been wanting to do some something like this for a while on the podcast because, you know, with the whole Black Lives Matter thing and then Me Too and all of these movements happening, I hadn't actually had a guest that had experiences, I'm not going to say comparable to mine because I haven't, you know, had a lot of issues in life, but we are daughters of immigrants, well, not necessarily daughters of immigrants. For me, I actually was born in Mexico, but, you know, I have family from different places, so similar experiences, but also different, and I thought it would be interesting to have a different perspective. So today's guest is Mariela de la Mora. She is a business coach, and I would say world traveler, or at least used to be before COVID. Absolutely. (laughs) So welcome, Mariela. I'm so glad to have you here on the show, and I'm excited to hear your story. Hi, I'm so excited to be here and to share this. Like, I just felt like from when we first met, like we really hit it off. So I just feel like that's always good vibes for just like having a chat and happening happening to have it. Honestly, 100%. The funniest part was I didn't even know you were actually Mexican when we first, like when I first started following you. And I think I remember you posted it on a story and I was like, wait, what? Yeah, because I didn't know that about you either. And that's what's crazy is that Mexican, you know, being Mexican, like does not look a particular way. Um, We're just such a diverse people, even just like in the way that we we look, the way that we speak. Um, So you just never really know. Yeah, 100%. So okay, let's start with you telling us about your story, a little bit about yourself. You can be as descriptive or as vague as you want. We'll go deep into the questions afterwards. Okay, so I think I'm going to touch upon a few things that I think will be key and maybe like talking more about like my story and how maybe how it's relevant to others later on. So um, yes, I'm the eldest daughter of Mexican immigrants, which is notable because I'd say that Daughters of immigrants, but the eldest in particular, tend to hold a lot of the responsibility of like showing their parents, like making them proud and kind of being that like golden child. 
And so was always like, you know, the straight A student and got good grades and like literally went to bad schools and was probably like the one kid who like never cut school and didn't drink. Like I went to schools that were not that great. Um, All kids of color, you know, basically just to put things into context, like I didn't even know any white people until I went to college. Like it's, it, that is my frame of reference. Like I learned English through like hip hop culture and just like going to diverse schools. Like that was my upbringing, like nineties hip hop. And so it was just a very, I had a really like eclectic diverse upbringing and it wasn't until I started to try to have a life of my own, you know, like having a boyfriend at 18, that that is like where the mother daughter, like, like if you guys are, you see, like, I'm just like, (laughs) I'm like punching my own fist. Cause I'm like, this is what happens where the mother and the daughter is like, Oh no, you're not going to like, you know, embarrass me or disrespect the family. Like you're just trying to make your own decisions. And, you know, I know that it's not like this in every family, but there's definitely a point where either you can shape yourself to what those expectations are, or you can rebel. And I definitely, definitely rebelled and moved out at 19 and ended up in a relationship that was super, super unhealthy um, and lots of cheating and all of that. But it was because I was just trying to run away from where I was at. So I kind of went into like a worse situation. Um, But still during that time, I was still achieving. I got my bachelor's. I got two master's. I reached six figures in corporate by age 30. All the things I said that I was going to do, I bought a house. I got married to that very unhealthy uh, partner. Um, so it's like, I was the epitome of like, you could tick all of the boxes off in the grocery list of life and it looks good. And you have a new condo and new cars and you travel and you, I had a wedding in a freaking chateau. Like, but I was, I was, but I was also broke because I was spending all the money that I earned to create this facade of a life. And I was, and I wasn't happy. And I reached a point where I don't know if it's just like an awakening or what it was, but I, for the first time started to take care of my body somehow that made me love myself more and realize if I can change my body and feel good about myself, maybe there's other things I can change. And so that made me realize like, okay, if I can change this, what else can I change? And so I left the relationship or ended the marriage Um, after that moved out on my own. And then a year later I quit that six figure job, did not have another plan other than that. I felt very strongly called to solo travel, um, for being a person who was like terrified to be seen, like going out to lunch by myself. Like I was like, I actually want to do everything that's terrified me because I don't want to be bound by this anymore. So I traveled for a year and a half by myself became an underground hip hop journalist through, I can't even explain how, but I I did, met my daughter's father there, fell in love, got married, moved to London and started a life there and built a team, co-founded a dating app. And then at the end of that, I was there for a short amount of time, remarried. And then that relationship fell apart. And that was not my choice. It was just something that he chose Um, then found out I was pregnant with my daughter, happened all exactly at the same time, moved back to the States, single mom to have my daughter with my parents' help. And so that is like my whole story in a nutshell. And after, you know, raising her, taking care of her, um, focusing on building this business, I'm now here in Portland 
we have this beautiful place that I love and I feel like I'm finally living the life that I was always meant to live. It just doesn't look the way that I originally wanted, but everything about my life now is what makes me happy and not what anyone else would have expected of me. And it took me this many years to unlearn it, dismantle it and rebuild it my way. That's crazy. First of all, I have to say I 100% relate to the whole when you're 18, your parents kind of, you go nuts with them. Mm -hmm. For me, it started when I was 14, but I think I was Mm -hmm. a pretty young bloomer. I can 100% relate. I think 18 was the worst age. Like me and my mom probably despised each other for like a year. Mm -hmm. Also can relate to the whole really bad relationship. So I feel like we were kindred spirits. (laughs) Yeah, I I totally relate. It's so funny because when you were saying that, I was like, Jesus, I'm reliving everything that I, that happened. To oh me. yeah, what so, mm-hmm. so many interesting things happened to you. I don't even know where to begin. So tell us maybe a little bit about how you started in your career because you said you've done so many things. So how did you start? How did you pick something? Did you study? What did you study? Yeah. So this is really funny how like I made decisions at whatever 20 when you have to pick your major. So like, you know how your first two years are like you're under or you're like general ed. I literally was like, I'm going to research salaries. Like what has the highest entry level salary for something that I think I would like to do because everything about what you're, what I was taught as a daughter of an immigrant is get a good job that's stable, that's going to pay you well because life is expensive and life is hard and you need to save your money. And so I remember, I mean, and I'm old, so this was like, you know, beginnings of the internet. And like, I was looking up like, okay, what do, what, what do these salaries are? So I literally, I picked marketing and I didn't really know why. I just knew that I wanted it to be creative and I didn't want it to be too heavily math-based. And later you find out there's a whole lot of math in marketing. <laughs> um, and so I, yeah, I majored in marketing and then I wound up like after graduating, um, I did find a marketing job, but it was in an industry that I didn't enjoy, which was health insurance. And I actually ended up doing that for like nine years. And there was a time that I thought I didn't like marketing. I just didn't like who I did it for because it wasn't a creative industry. So that in itself is a pivot. And like, if I could do it again, I definitely would have tried to, you know, fund my way, like pay my bills, but do some sort of like an unpaid internship or something to get into the right area where I could have loved what I did a little bit more. But that's how I initially got into marketing after college. Um, And this was like pre-social media days. What was your dream industry at the time? (laughs) Um, I think at the time, I don't even know if I knew like, I, I mean, I think just like anybody else, like I would have loved to almost been in like marketing for like a magazine or just something in like entertainment. Um, I think that would have, or, or like a beauty brand, um, that probably would have been like beauty fashion, like entertainment probably would have been. And San Francisco, you know, there's a lot of, there's some companies like that, but, um, I pretty much just like took the very first like job that took me. And then it's crazy how like, Saying yes to something sometimes creates a ripple effect that lasts your entire life. And sometimes you have to stop it and be like, okay, actually, is this still the right path for me? And sometimes the longer you stay on that path, the harder it is to kind of veer off. And so for me, a big part of like my course correction was like picking myself up out of this industry and saying, I'm just going to quit and then figure out how can I do marketing like somewhere else so that I can love it. Yeah. Yeah. And is that when you started in the startup for the dating app? 
Yeah. So it's actually when I quit my, when I said like, I quit my six figure job to travel, (laughs) to travel Europe solo, I quit, like it was health insurance marketing. So I was making a ton of money for my age and, um, you know, it wasn't like a stressful job or anything. I just didn't love it. And so it was through that. And then like starting to work with, um, different startups that I realized, like, I really wanted to work with a brand that was starting out and help them grow where I actually had a bigger voice in how things were shaped, that I was helping them problem solve. And that's like, I think where I very, like when I first tapped into the entrepreneurial side of my brain and how excited I got and how I, I remember being like, wow, I can feel like re-energized by my work. Like I remember juggling my nine to five and also doing this, like there's this um, underground hip hop brand based in LA that I started working um, with when I was in San Diego. And they're the ones that I ended up doing the hip hop journalist work in the UK when I went to travel there. I was like, I feel like I could do this like all night. Like I could, I could work these hours and it was, it just made me feel happy. And so I was like, I, I don't think I could ever go back to doing something I don't care about. And I never did. (laughs) That's amazing. How did you start in the whole dating app? Like, I'm super curious. How did you find that? How was that? Cause I know from following you on Instagram, you mentioned how you grew it and it was like a super success. How was that experience? I've never met anyone that worked on an app. So I'm like, oh man, it's so funny because that was one of the best learning experiences ever because it was a success in so many ways. And in others, it like was not because like, obviously I don't run it anymore and I don't own it and we didn't make like millions of dollars, but (laughs) it also made me better at everything that I did from then on. So when I, when I kind of came back to America um, and was engaged to marry my daughter's father, um, a friend of mine from San Diego, Sonia, um, she had started the very, very early stages, like pre-beta, a, a dating app called Nectar. And Nectar was a, a socially conscious dating app in the sense that rather than you, it was essentially, we would call ourselves the anti-Tinder, where Tinder was, you know, known, especially then, I don't know so much about now, <clears throat> maybe still now, where it was like superficial. There was a lot of like harassment like sexual harassment going on on the apps. And it was just like not good connections. And we wanted to be able to connect people over causes that they were passionate about. And their first date was volunteering together so that we would organize like beach cleanups and like planting trees and all of these things. And basically the idea was like, if a guy is going to do that, he's probably better than some dude that you're going to swipe on Tinder. Your chances are going to be a little bit better. And so we created that. Um, so it was just us four and we just, I learned PR this way. I learned how to, you know, use Canva and design and grow an email list and how to, um, reach out to potential like angel investors and like how angel investors and VC firms like will want to see the numbers and how would they use, how would you use a hundred thousand dollars versus a million dollars? And like, how would you invest it into ads? And like, I literally, learned like this is actually what it means to run a business because they don't care about your vision. They not to say they don't care about your vision. They want to know is there market proof of this? What would you do with our money? And how would you turn it around and show me in a spreadsheet and show me in stats? And so we were like women (laughs) pitching to VC firms telling us there's already too many dating apps. How are you going to monetize this? And so it was like blending, like, but we want to change the world to them being like, yeah, I don't care. Like, show me the money. Um, but it was honestly the best learning experience of my entire life because we did grow the app organically. We um, grew to 8,000 users across four cities. 
So those were like our target cities of um, San Diego, LA, San Francisco, and Seattle. And we had a few people in New York. And the point of the reason we grew it that way is because you want to make sure people have other people to meet. So you don't want to just like open it up to everybody. And while I grew Nectar, I also got to like, um, you know, we got featured in, in Marie Claire and Pop Sugar and Bustle and all these different magazines. While we were doing that, I also was head of marketing at Off to Work, um, which was the job I just left that I was at for five years where I was the director of marketing. So I had about two years where I was working like 17 hours a day, growing both companies, growing teams, hiring interns, hiring people in both roles. And it was a little insane, but that is probably where I learned like more professionally and entrepreneurially than I ever have in like my whole life. That's crazy. That must have been like a great experience. It it was. Like I think at the time I I learned so much. I definitely also used it to kind of hide away from the fact that I was like homesick living in London and you know my social network were my coworkers who were like much younger than me and it was just adjustment to UK culture. But Nectar, running Nectar in the evenings, which was America daytime, was also my connection to home. And I got to learn everything that I learned through growing Nectar. I got to apply at my job as head of marketing at Off to Work because we actually had a budget and I was growing a team. And so it was actually like a perfect thing to do side by side because it allowed me to bring an entrepreneurial brain into like a small, medium sized ish business. Um, I would never want to do that again. But it was great for the time. <laughs> and I and now I'm a mom, so I literally cannot. But um, that's like where everything changed. Like I got to experience like actually being an entrepreneur and the hustle of that. And um, but then also genuinely helping a medium-sized business to scale with the things that I learned through that experience. Is that how you found your purpose? Like, do you think you were actively looking for it or you learned what you wanted to do because you tried things? I learned, I did, I learned it through trying. I think that I, um, I always knew what I didn't want before I knew what I did want. And so I think one thing that worked for me that I would kind of advise for someone who's not sure is that rather than waiting until you feel like you know what you want to go for, you kind of look and say, what do I need to let go of that's definitely not in alignment with me? That's definitely not something that I want in my future. And when you let those things go, you create space time-wise, energetically, just in your mental capacity to actually even envision like what feels good. And there will come a point, I think, especially if you're kind of a perpetual purpose seeker, that you will feel, you'll feel either stressed, you'll contract into your body, you feel like you have to perform, or you'll feel expansive, excited, re-energized. And so it was just a perpetual like leaning more into what excited me. And I think it's giving yourself the time to figure that out and know there's not probably, at least not for me, was ever like an epiphany moment. It was just a constant perpetual pivoting. And I think that that is something that I would encourage anyone to do is that your life should be perpetual pivoting, you know, and because you change and your ideas as you grow. Did you ever feel like you 
weren't sure. I don't know how to phrase this question. So you pivoted a lot. Do you ever consider how people would look at you doing that? Or was that just like, I don't care. I just want to try and do what I want. Yeah, I definitely thought about that. Um, when I had this gap in like my resume where I was like, how do I explain that I quit my job to travel the world? Like that's not really going to look very good to an employer. And that was also like my very, um, you know, like type A brain that was like, how can I rationalize this? Am I going to look like a wild card? But um, I don't know if it's just because when I reentered the workforce, I reentered it in the UK, which was surprisingly receptive (laughs) to that. Um, It actually wound up being okay. Um, I think that what I did was I found a way to make that experience relatable and relevant to the direction that I wanted to go by talking about what I did that and what skills that brought me in order for me to be an even stronger candidate. And, um, and so like, for example, I said, okay, I was in insurance marketing, but then I took, you know, I worked entrepreneurially. And so that brought, helped me, you know, I basically extracted those things like entrepreneurially. I um, managed social media accounts. I, you know, managed like event marketing. And I was like, okay, how can I plug this in to position myself as being an even stronger candidate rather than almost feeling like you have to hide it because you can't hide stuff. Like they're going to ask you. And it, it, if it seems like you're ashamed of something that you've done, it's going to look bad on you. And also the right company will actually value that risk that you took. Because even as I've told the story to employers later, even if when it was the bigger employers like Facebook or Uber, like they were like, that's pretty awesome. Like we actually really like that. And so it's taking what you learned from that and positioning yourself, um, positioning it as a positive. I love that. That's a brilliant idea. And I feel like we don't do it enough because we get hung up on, oh my God, what are they going to ask me if I didn't do anything during like these two years? How can I say that I was studying, that I was doing X, Y, or Z? So I feel like you touch on a really important point, especially now that a lot of people are trying to find jobs again and all of that. Yes, absolutely. So now I'm curious. How did you actually end up deciding to start your own business? Like you went from having all these corporate jobs and liking the entrepreneurial, but what was the thing that made you say, screw that, I want to start my own business? Yeah, there was actually one particular moment. So I I knew after I had my daughter that I was going to eventually have to leave my job as head of marketing. I was still doing the job from America. So it was early starts, calls, all the things. Um I thought that I was going to go into tech because tech pays a crap ton of money. And I was living in San Francisco and there were just so many jobs. And so I was like, as a single mom, I told myself a story. So I think another thing is I catch, I now better at catching myself when I'm telling myself a story. So I I encourage you to ask yourself, like, is this really true? Is there another way for me to get to my objective or what's important to me? So the story I was telling myself was, you need to make a lot of money because living in the Bay Area, San Francisco is the most expensive city in the United States, and you're a single mother. You have to get a job in tech because it's going to help you raise her. And so I went on a bunch of interviews, said no to like the very first opportunity that was presented to me that was for a lot of money because I just didn't care about the company. Like it was a great company, but I was like, I can't imagine this being my life every day. Like I just don't can't. And I feel like I'd be doing them a disservice. So I said no. And also the name was not flashy enough for me. They were like a pre-series A startup. And I was like, I just don't, I just don't want to do this. And so I ended up getting to final interviews at Facebook and Uber a day apart. This was like the first and second of April of like last year. 
And I remember in my mind already thinking, oh my God, I think I can only come to work for like five and a half hours because I have to drop my daughter off and I have to get in this shuttle. And yes, I can work on the Facebook shuttle, but then I'm going to have to leave early to pick her up, put her to bed. And then I'm going to have to work again at night to make up the time. And I already started to get stressed out being like, or I have to pay somebody to pick her up from school so, so that I could just put her to bed. And I started rationalizing, okay, but I'd be making good money and I could pay a nanny to pick her up and then they could take her to the playground and they could take her home. And so I was like, is this really the life that I want where I can afford to pay a nanny to pick up my daughter to bring her home to like be with her instead of being like me being with her. And I really at that point was like, I I think I only want this job because other people would think I'm successful if I was in this like head of marketing role at, you know, at Facebook or Uber. And so I, at that point was like, I don't, I can't do this. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but that is pretty much where I said no to like what I knew I didn't want. And even though I didn't know what I was saying yes to yet. Mm-hmm. And so from there, did you start your business or did you find a job while you were starting your business as a side hustle? What happened? No, so I still kept my job. Um, so the thing, the good thing about my situation was that because I was working for a UK company, um, my meetings were basically done by like 11 or 12 and I could schedule everything else outside of that. So I had, I only had to really be online for meetings in the morning, which was wonderful. And that's an advantage a lot of people don't have. What I, what actually woke me up first, at least to where I ended up was Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi had this program last year called the Knowledge Business Blueprint. I'm sure so many people have probably seen the ads for this because they are very good salesmen. And I joined it and it was, it's kind of the perfect program for people who know they want to monetize their knowledge, but don't know exactly what that looks like. And while I never really ended up using that framework to do what I do, it just made me realize that I could make money from what I already know and that it didn't have to look like a corporate consultant framework, that I could create a business around what I wanted rather than me essentially freelancing or consulting for people. And that's kind of what started the ripple effect was this Tony Robbins program. I met a lot of like the women that I still collab with now um, through that program. And I think it was not until like honestly, October, <laughs> it was like five, five months of me trying to figure this out, working and posting on Instagram and being like, I was posting like about finding your purpose and starting over. And I didn't know what this was for. I wasn't coaching. It wasn't until I hired my business coach in October of last year that I started to be like, okay, I think I'm going to coach. Um, but it took me a long time of figuring this out. Um, and a long time of just knowing what I didn't want and maybe not quite what I did want. But I just kept showing up and sharing a message. And that literally was feedback as to like what people cared about and what I was good at. I have two things to say. That's really funny that you said about the KBB because that's literally what happened to me this year. I'm telling you, we are like kindred souls. No That's literally what happened to me. I cannot. I joined, I think it was like in March, they did the second version this year. I also didn't use it because I found that it was missing some things. And I was just like, I'm not 100% aligned with their thing. But it also made me think, oh my god, I can make money from sharing my knowledge. How do I do that? It's yes. like so funny that you know. No way! It's so funny because I feel like when I say that, I almost feel like, I mean, it was wonderful, but it's also like I bought this program that was like mass marketed to the world. Like a part of me is just like, Really? But it did help me because I think it does teach you, it does teach you how to like 
package up and, you know, monetize like what it is that you know. And it teaches you how to sell and you don't have to necessarily take their framework for it. But like, it was good. And I think that even just having the community of other people who are also trying to like find their thing helps to make you be like, okay, this is possible. A hundred percent. I think the best part about that program is that it opens up the idea of maybe I can make money from this. So I a hundred percent agree with you. Mm-hmm. And then what you're saying, I find super refreshing because for those people that aren't in the coaching space and they see it from the outside world, you see a lot of people go on and be like, I started my business and four months later, I'm making a hundred K. You no. can do it too. And it's like, okay, they don't really talk about what they did before. Like maybe they have, I don't know, 20,000 followers or maybe they ran a business years before so they still have contacts and the knowledge. And so you saying like, yeah, I started in like Feb and then it wasn't until October that I decided to take things seriously. I feel like it's super refreshing for every business owner out there that's like, okay, I don't have to have my stuff figured out at the beginning. Nope. And it depends what matters to you because if you're just trying to monetize anything as quickly as possible, that's very different than you're trying to actually create something that you're good at and you love. And for me, I was like, there's no freaking way that I'm going to leave jobs that pay me a lot of money that I don't love to do in order to create something I don't love to do. Like I may as well get a job. <laughs> so yeah, giving yourself the time. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also think it's part of the journey. You kind of have to go through the like point of okay, I'm going to try and do something that I'm good at and see if it works. And then you start realizing that's not enough. I actually have to love it. So I do feel like it is a journey. Absolutely. Yeah. So giving yourself that grace, allowing it to be a pivot. And then honestly, I say another thing is just taking action taught me more than anything, even if I didn't know what I was taking action for. So it's kind of like every message you put out there gives you feedback. Does this feel good? Does this feel aligned with me? Does this re-energize me? Like what kind of conversations does, does this spark? And so getting out of your head and doing some sort of action definitely helps to give you more clarity than trying to strategize it. A hundred percent. So has it been hard for you being a woman entrepreneur or do you think it's kind of like irrelevant? I think that it's much less um, maybe about me being a woman. I actually felt more of the difference being a woman in corporate because I was not only, I was rarely ever the only woman in senior leadership, but I was always the only woman of color in senior leadership. And so that I felt different because I was like, I felt like I had to represent for my people. (laughs) Like I had to represent, I was like the one person, you know, like you, you kind of tell yourself like, they only let one of us in. So it's me. So I better make everybody proud you know, and um, so I, I felt it more there, I think in entrepreneurship where I feel like it was harder um, or just more that I had to overcome was more of being a daughter of an immigrant, immigrants, mostly because of the mindset and the hurdles and the unlearning that had to come from that. And not that being a daughter of an immigrant makes that automatic, but I have had countless conversations and in like also many clients of mine who are also daughters of immigrants, I also attract them. It is so common. Like a lot of the beliefs that we have of our, about ourselves, particularly, which all of them are corporate turned entrepreneur. So there is a very unique 
experience there of what we need to unlearn in order to trust ourselves, in order to listen to our intuition, in order to take care of ourselves um, in a way that you don't have to do in corporate. Um, and so that's where I would say that the it was more challenging and where I had to do a lot more of like the inner work. With what you said, I have two questions. The first one has to do with what you were mentioning about it's sometimes hard because you're the only woman of color. So I'm going to tell you both of them and then you can answer in your own time. Okay. So have you ever experienced sexism or racism in the corporate world? And what advice would you give women regardless in whatever situation that might be dealing with the similar? And my second one might be a bit controversial. I am talking about like my own experience. So I am, you know, from Mexico, my parents, my dad's German, my mom's Mexican. Do you think those unlearnings and those kind of like traits that you're talking about that you know a lot of women have, do you think it comes actually from the culture they have? Or do you think it comes from the fact that most of our relatives or our parents didn't really have any money growing up? Yeah, I think that it came. So actually, I'll answer. Yeah, so. I want to start backwards because I was like, I just had a thought about that. So I think that a lot of the um, the immigrant mentality kind of challenges come from acclimatizing to whiteness and seeing whiteness as like safety and like what you need to do in order to get by. And so that's not even necessarily whiteness. Sometimes it's just survival. Um, and so like to give you an example, it's kind of like you don't, we were kind of taught like not to challenge and like not to speak up too much for ourselves. Don't ask for too much money. Like, because you just want to, you just want to put your head down and work hard, like be the silent worker. Like don't take up too much space because for them that actually was survival. And so I think that it's advice that like worked for a generation that was literally just trying to have enough to eat, you know? And so, yes, it, they didn't have enough money. That was literally a reality um, so when they tell you, you know, you get ingrained in you, like, don't take risks, like investing in yourself, like, what is that? Like, save all of your money. Don't ask for too much money at work. Um, just be happy. Work harder than everybody else. Make sure that you're securing your job is what they had to do because they didn't have the choices that we have. So it's just like getting by, just getting by, just surviving, just that, that's where that comes from. And if you understand that, then you can say, wow. I am so grateful that I have the choices that I have, but those that mindset doesn't serve me anymore in the work that I do and in this world that I exist in. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. And so that's where, you know, the blanket advice that does not take into consideration like people's upbringing um, is it can be really detrimental because you tend to internalize that. Um, you in tend to internalize it as shame. And I think also if culturally you were controlled through shame because they were like, we can't have you get out of line because life is hard. Like I'm trying to teach you how to exist and survive in this world. Um, that's just, you know, that was just the reality. Um, and then for your other question, because I was like, this is such, I'm like so excited to answer this question. And I can't even say which job it is, but. The racism and the sexism. Um, I say that like I'm not a white passing Mexican person by any means, but I'm light enough that I recognize my privilege in that, you know, my lack of like maybe direct racism was probably just that I didn't have to experience that because of my skin color. However, I do remember um, when I was, and I made a post about this like probably last year, when I was 19, 
I worked for a cell phone company and as an administrative assistant, I was in college. And I remember telling my boss, like, I want to be on the inside sales team because they're selling like these phone plans and they get commission, they get paid more money and they get commission. And this was like in the early days where like cell phones were new. Like, this is how old I am. But this is like, people were signing up for new cell phone service. And he was like, Mariella, you need to lose the street from your voice before I'll ever let you on the phones. And I just remember being like genuinely confused because I only knew one way to speak because I learned to speak English literally like through the public school system, which was all kids of color and like literally 80s and 90s hip hop. So it's like I just spoke a certain way and I didn't realize that the way that I spoke was not okay in like white corporate America. And so I never got put on the sales team. I ended up like leaving that job. And I don't think, yeah, I ended up not having like another similar job to that. I ended up getting like my marketing job after that. But yeah, that was the very first time that I would say it's racism because it was essentially like speaking African-American vernacular English, which is like, I didn't have the terminology back then, but that's just like the way that I spoke. And, and then I learned over the years not to speak like that at work because I always remember that that was punished. And so I learned to code switch from that day on and um, got really good at it to not make people uncomfortable and then the code switching kind of became more of like my norm. But like when I'm relaxed, I still just speak the way that I speak. And um, and I didn't say anything because I was 19 and I was scared. When, with the sexual harassment, when it did happen and I was a grown ass woman, I called it out on the spot. And so this was when I was in the UK and I was like, I don't know what y'all do in the UK, but we don't do this in America. Like you'd get like HR called like really quick. And so I remember it happened a couple of times and I was like, um, excuse me. <laughs> and it, it happened a couple of times and then it never happened again. And so getting the confidence to like call it out immediately is something that came with age for sure. Cause I have no problems now <laughs> calling it out. So, yes. Honestly, it is hard because like you said, especially coming from like all the culture that you learned, you're not supposed to say things because like who's going to believe you? You're a woman, yada, yada, yada. So mm-hmm. it does come with, like you mentioned, age and experience and then you just get tired of it at some point. I can imagine you're like, right. no, stop. Like, Especially if it's a person that's also like higher up than you rank. It's just like that gets you scared when you're younger. And so like I saw that happening to other girls who are young, but for me, I was like, dude, like that's, that's literally never going to fly. And so then I became the person that defended them and me, but yeah, absolutely. Um, even just being aware of that, that like, you don't necessarily always get brought up to like use your voice. Um, even just being mindful of that, that it only feels foreign and scary because maybe that was never something you were empowered to do. Yeah. So basically just try to stand up for yourself as much as possible and if you're scared now, think that maybe you'll regret it one day if you stayed quiet. Yeah. Is your Even just understanding like what your point of reference is. I think instead of saying that it's wrong or that you shouldn't do it, just understand like your point of reference was to, you know, may have been, at least for me, was keep you quiet in order to keep you safe. And now it's like stand up for yourself, speak up for yourself to keep yourself safe. You have to advocate for yourself. It's just a really different reality. Yeah. A hundred percent. So going back to the whole heritage thing, you've mentioned a little bit about how you've grown up with it. Do you think that's influenced 
not only how you run your business, but how you help your clients and all of that, like you unlearning everything and trying to unpack everything? Yeah, I feel like with the heritage, I think when I think about like being Mexican and daughter of an immigrant and like what was ingrained in me that definitely has been part of the way I've shown up at work and the way I show up in my business was like this (laughs) incredible, probably unhealthy work ethic. Um, To kind of give you an example, like my dad has been at the same company for 44 years. He still shows up half an hour early to work to put on his uniform and, um, you know, to get ready. And both my parents are still like that. And they're just like, you need to be the hardest worker in the room. You need to do what you say you're going to do. You need to make sure that everybody that works with you says absolutely glowing things about you because that you want to secure your job. You need to earn your job every single day. Like that is the work ethic that I was brought up with. And so it helped me succeed in corporate. Absolutely. Um, I would definitely say anybody that's ever worked with me probably has wonderful things to say. And that's not even just me like shooting my own horn. I'm like, I know because I freaking like I worked, I busted my ass. But what I'm finding now in entrepreneurship is that I need to draw that line now because that actually turned into over delivering, way over delivering, stretching myself thin, lack of boundaries, um, and constantly realizing that I almost needed validation from my clients to tell me you're so great and, you know, amazing, or like even what time a call should end. So I think it's, that has shaped me to, in a way I've almost like, I had to not tone the work ethic down, but just say, how do I keep the work ethic and still impose the boundaries and the self-care in entrepreneurship? So that was definitely a big shift for me. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that. That's also... I feel like mostly as women, not necessarily even coming from a different heritage as women, we do have to put boundaries because we tend to be like nice. We tend to be like, no, it's okay. Like you went overboard with the timing. It's all good. Like we're okay. And then once you start letting them all pile up, you're like, oh shit, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) things just got real. You start to feel resentful. You start to feel like you're not seen. It's like, you know, I see it all the time with like even my corporate women clients, um, because I do coach some corporate women who like are not entrepreneurs. They tend to be, um, they'll take on the extra projects and they'll say yes. And they're working the late hours and then they don't get recognized. And that tends to be the cycle. And so now I'm like, you don't get recognized for having like no boundaries and taking everything on. You never get, you don't get promoted. You don't get pay rises. When I would advocate for myself is because I was like, um, so we're going to need to hire somebody to do that. Cause that's literally like, I can help you coordinate it, but like, that's a whole separate job. Like there were so many times I had to have this conversation and people don't just hand it to you. Like you have to ask for more money than you think you're going to get. And then you'll get somewhere in the middle, you know? And those are things that are like terrifying to my parents, you know? <laughs> so It's just realizing like, what world do you live in now? What qualities and skill sets are going to help you now and trying to, you know, lean more into that and, and just say, like, if you don't do it, who's going to do it, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. So you're obviously a single mom. You're the mom to the sassiest little girl out there. She's three, right? Yeah. She's going to be four after Christmas. So you're the mom how is it running a business with a child especially now nine months into covid wow yes man this year it 
I literally launched my business a couple months before COVID. So it all happened around the same time. So I feel like what, what I would say it's like for me is there's a never going to be like balance necessarily. You kind of define like what that is. And there's, I had to get comfortable really quick that like all of the things that I would like to do, I'm just not going to be able to do myself. And I had to really, really rank like how I spend my time because when it comes to raising a child, especially in COVID where she was home from March to July before she ever went back to school, you're working and raising your child in the same space and they don't understand that. She's just like, why are you looking at your phone? Like, why are you looking at your computer? Like, pay attention to me. And so I think really quick, I, it just reminded me daily, like, why are you doing this? Like, yes, what do you actually need to do? What do you need to do versus like, what would you like to do? So I'd say that because COVID happened and because, um, I had my daughter home with me and thankfully, um, she had a teacher come and like help to take care of her, but I still was like with her very early on. It, it caused me to grow my business from a place of how can I keep things as simple as possible? Um, what do I absolutely have to do? Because I don't have the choice of like working on weekends. I don't have the choice of starting work early in the morning. Like I have to make sure she gets taken care of and then she's with a caregiver before I can do anything productive. And so it was a, it was a blessing to be honest. Like I'm grateful that I can call it a blessing because I know that there are single mothers or there are just women in general who really, really struggled or lost their jobs. And I fully like recognize that I would have lost my job had I not quit because the company that I worked for basically, you know, had to shut, shut down temporarily. And so I'm just like, why am I doing this? I'm here because the reason that I left the high paying job is to be present with her. So if I'm not present with her while I build this business, then I'm doing it wrong. Like, this is literally why I'm here is that I want to be a happy, healthy, present mother for my daughter. Yeah, that's amazing. Honestly, I love all about that. I love that you have that in mind because I think we sometimes overcomplicate things that don't need to be complicated. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if you have that skill of reference, it's like it can never get complicated. And as soon as it starts getting complicated, you're like, I cannot do with this because I have a kid. Like, please, no. I just don't. Like, I don't have the time. I'm like, I have to hold space. What I have to remind myself is like, I have to hold space for her and all of the things that I need to be enthusiastic and present and play with her. And then I have to hold space. I hold space for all of my clients and I have to hold space for myself. And that does not happen if I am not like taking care of myself and I am not being very deliberate about what energy I bring in. And I think another difference is I probably would have gone more for like where I could make more money or like more like pure marketing strategy where I could have like touted my, my work history more. And instead I got to slow down and say like, what kind of women do I want to work with? Because how I felt mattered more than how much money I, I made necessarily and knowing that the money will come and it did. But, um, but yeah, I just, I could not afford to not be like happy and grounded. I literally couldn't afford to do that. (laughs) That's a great lesson. So I'm going to end with my favorite question, the one I always ask, and then we're going to go into a rapid fire, lighthearted round of questions. They're going to be like, which one do you prefer? Okay. All right. Here comes my favorite question. 
It's like the basis of the show. So I'm pretty sure you've had an experience where you feel like you're probably the only one to live it or experience it at some point. You might think it's like a fear or a thought or a situation. So what was it? And what would you tell other people that might have experienced the same thing? Ooh, let's see. So something that I've lived through that I feel like I'm the only one. Yeah. I think that's a really good question because there's been a lot of things where I felt alone. I, you know what? (laughs) I think the thing for me was kind of like, I, I feel like I don't know what I want and that that's been a story that I tell myself because I am perpetually pivoting. So I feel like the story I've told myself is like, well, everyone else is just like, you know, they've picked these paths and they like they've stuck with them. Even in the in the entrepreneur space, like I see people pick their thing and they go for it. And even within that, I've pivoted like a lot. So I think I've always kind of felt like I'm multi-passionate, but also in just like I've told myself as I'm I'm indecisive and like I'm all over the place. Um, so yeah, I'd say that that's where I kind of feel like I've told myself I'm the only person who just like can't find their thing. And I, but my thing is all the things at the same time. <laughs> and so as far as like what to tell other people. I love people, that. Is that the second part? It's like what yeah. to tell other people? Is that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what would you tell someone that might be thinking the same thing? I would say that your, your passions and your life experiences add up to a collective that makes you completely what's the word? Unimitatable? Unimitable? (laughs) It makes you unique. Um, And so I think rather than trying to like pick one path, it's kind of looking at like, how do all of these unique experiences like make me um, better at what I do? Or how does it bring a different insight? Or how can it allow me to bring a different like perspective? And I think that the benefit of that for anyone listening is that maybe your unique life experiences or your passions kind of either bring a different level of creativity or it allows you to see people who may not usually be seen. You may be the person who's like, who's being left out of this conversation? Is there another way we could look at it, you know, look at this? Hmm. Is there a different way we can approach this? And that comes from you being multi-passionate. It comes from you pivoting. It comes from you kind of taking risks rather than you being prescribed. So, and I know this, I know this about myself, but it's still the story I tell myself is that I can't just pick a thing, but that's what I would say to anyone um, who feels like they just can't make up their mind and pick one thing. That's a great, great, great piece of advice. So before we go into the last rapid fire questions, where can people find you if they want to learn from you, if they want to work for you? I know, work with you, sorry, or work for you. Like who knows? Maybe you're (laughs) Yeah, so I said best place um, is on my Instagram. So it's at Mariella Delamora. So that's all with one L, Mariella Delamora. Um, and there you'll kind of find a little bit more about me, like links to my website. Um, I have a cool quiz on my website that's like find your CEO Enneagram type. So that is where you can find me. Amazing. And it'll be linked. Okay, so are you ready now for the fun part? Not that yes. this hasn't been fun, but like the extra. You're making the type A in me be like, okay, just gonna ask you rapid fire questions. You have to make a decision. I'm like, I love this. I'm slightly terrified, but I also love this. Okay. It'll be great. It'll be great. 
So what person dead or alive would you like to have dinner with if possible and why? Michelle Obama. I would want to. Yes, that's a great choice. I love her. Yeah, I think for her, it's um, being like showing grace in all situations, but yet always speaking her truth and her mind and not being silenced by anyone, but being able to do it in a way where she is a leader and she is revered that I absolutely, um, I look up to. I agree. Okay. Would you rather travel the world for a year on a shoestring budget or stay in only one country for a year, but live in total luxury? (laughs) Definitely travel on a shoestring budget. (laughs) I feel like that is such a really good question. Um, I value experiences more than anything. Um, And so I will always opt for having more varied experiences than for comfort and predictability so absolutely (laughs) okay this one might be hard for you to choose spanish or english i don't i feel like english is a necessity but like spanish is more where i'm like i don't know it's just my heart it's my soul it's it's the way that i think when i'm mad it's the way that i think when i'm scolding my daughter it's soul so yeah spanish (laughs) And also, okay, I love that. Now it's like, oh, sorry. And now also because I've learned to have a different appreciation about it because my daughter goes to Spanish immersion schools and has for a few years, and she's often the only child who speaks Spanish at home <laughs> because all the other kids are white. So I'm like, you know what? I'm very, very grateful that I'm fluent, <laughs> and I don't ever want to lose that. <laughs> That is amazing. I'm sure you won't, especially once she grows up and then you guys start speaking in Spanish all the time. Yes. Okay, an easier one. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Oh, I absolutely. I feel like it just gives me life. I love going to coffee shops and the aesthetic of coffee shops and the vibe and how they all have just like a different ambiance about them. I like just spending time in coffee shops, not just the coffee. So, yes. (laughs) Love that. Okay. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? Ooh, oh, man. That's such a good question because I'm like, I'm just – to be honest, now I'm longing to be by the water. Um, I just don't know exactly where. I miss Italy for sure. I would love to go back there. I love, in fact, yeah, I would love to go back to Italy, to Tuscany. I have a really good friend who lives there. I think I felt like I was in heaven the last time I was there. I was like, this life feels so much slower. People are so warm and hospitable. I just loved how I felt there. So yeah, I would definitely, I feel like I'd go back to Tuscany. (laughs) I've never been, but it's definitely on my list. Okay. Uh, Magazines or books? Books. Books. Yeah, I say books. There's more. You can prefer with a book and a little more superficial with magazines. True, true. Okay, last, last, last question. Who is your biggest inspiration? It could be a fictional character. It could be someone you know. It could be a role model. Who is your biggest inspiration? This is is an easy one because it's my daughter. And I know it's going to sound really cheesy, but she's taught me more about what life means than any other experience she's taught me more about like how to just 
be a good person and how to live in the moment than like anything else ever has taught me for sure. <laughs> in fact, so many ways when Aww, I think about I, I lost, it. I think like, what would she do? Like, how would she deal with this? You know, um, she'd feel her feelings. She'd feel them fully and then she'd let it go and she'd forgive. And then she'd go back to playing, but she'd allow herself to feel those feelings fully. And she'd greet people she doesn't know with a smile and she'd keep greeting them if they don't hear her. And she'd yell at every dog and say hello and she'd play. And that is, that is to me, like that is what life is about is living it and feeling it fully but not holding on to things that don't serve you. I love that. <laughs> That's so beautiful. I love that. And she is so present on your Instagram. So guys, really, if you want to go check her out, if you want to have some laughs, if you want to, you know, enjoy life, go check out Mariella's um, Instagram. Not only for that, she does give good business advice, marketing advice, but like her kid is she's part of the charm. For sure. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Mariella. This has been so amazing. I've loved chatting with you. And probably by the time this airs, you guys would have already met her on the Instagram live. So I'm super excited for that. And I hope you liked it. This is going. This is so weird because I'm speaking in like future sure. from the past. So <laughs> all good. No. So I hope, you know, I hope this deep, di- deep dive into her life and everything she has to offer is even more amazing than the live you heard. So as usual, you will find the links on the description. You can go follow her on Instagram. You can go follow us on Instagram. Uh, her Instagram is at Mariela de la Mora, one L, and ours is at Pretty Sure Podcast. And if you want to learn a bit more about podcasting, if you want to go into a fabulous community of like-minded women, you can join the Facebook group in the link in the description as well. And thanks again. I will see you guys next week and peace out, everybody. Thank you.